Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Fear. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter seven of The Amber Spyglass, Mary Alone. I spent all day yesterday basically in your bed. Yes. <laughs> fueling the rumours that we are a couple. Mm, mm-hmm. yes, 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 fueling those rumours. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all good. I'm still uh, recovering from Tick Tick Boom. Yes, so good. We had It was a very musical-y day yesterday, actually. We started off by watching Dear Evan Hansen, which we went to see in the theatre Last week? The week before? Mm Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. I've come out of the entire process being like, I don't know how I feel about Dear Evan Hansen. Some of the songs are really beautiful, but the general plot is fucking strange. (laughs) And I don't know how people find it uplifting. (laughs) Yeah. I stand by my comment of it would work much, much better as a psychological thriller because... It, I mean, no spoilers, but it's just the story. Jesus. The fact that you could come out at the end of watching it and think that Evan Hansen is has not acted atrociously and has come out of it in any way redeemed is laughable. You did a very, very bad thing. Like, I just can't, I can't let it go. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing it on stage because I love a musical. The film, my lord, not great. Did not love. No, I was saying to it, I was like, it's exactly what I expected it to be. And that's not a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) You did say that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. And then, complete polar opposite, tick, tick, boom. Oh, my God. (sighs) Absolute triumph. Bloody loved it. If you want to have a big old cry, watch Tick, Tick, Boom. It's on Netflix at the moment. Lin-Manuel Miranda directed it, our fave. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Lin. Directed this and starring Andrew Garfield and... I didn't know he could sing. It's very, very good. A, a few people were saying, did you need to have seen Rent to watch Tick, Tick, Boom? Me, neither of us had seen it, but we've left wanting to watch Rent. So Yeah, 100%. Yes. But in, we didn't feel we had to, to understand it. No, I burst out crying at the end. Oh my God. Yeah, you did. <laughs> there were so many times in the film where I looked at you and I was like, is she going to do a little cry? Because you're a crier and I'm not. I have... A heart of stone. There are a few things that make me cry, and usually they're things that are happy. Yeah, I'm a crier <laughs> at musicals specifically. I musicals get me, and yeah, Rich kept looking at me, and I was like, "I'm fine, I'm fine." And then at the end, I was just, I just went. I think I went. It's just so sad, and just like burst into tears. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god, but I will say I loved it so much, and I think that uh, Lynn. I literally, the film finished, I picked up my phone, said to Rage, I'm DMing Lynn immediately because I, <laughs> we just loved it so much. So we were saying that I think Lynn manuel has such a good way of creating musicals for film. So like if you, we're talking about Dear Evan Hansen and how on stage it works, um, but in the film, 
it's very strange when people burst into song like there's no like fantastical elements or the fantastical elements are actually in the show are removed mostly from the film which is just bonkers to me yeah so it's filmed almost it's quite a straight film yeah in terms very of like, like realistic yeah the shots that you would expect in any film about a high school but then with Lin-Manuel with In the Heights and Tick Tick Boom obviously are both musicals the fantastical elements to them which makes you buy into the musical elements more and makes it seem more well suited for it to be a musical and you're not as like thrown when people start singing yeah it's like applying the tricks of the trade that you have in stagecraft and that are what make musicals spectacular to watch in person and applying that to how you make your film and then taking advantage of all the bonus stuff you get because it's a film and you can you don't have to trick people in person you can add cinema magic to it and it, it is really they've done oh. So good. I feel like this is like a cute little film club at the beginning of the episode. This is great. <laughs> right? So Andrew Garfield did a fucking excellent job. I read in the trivia that apparently he took singing lessons for a year because he really wanted the role. I fucking loved his hair so much. I loved his hair. I loved MJ Rodriguez's hair. I've got a thing for Curly hair. They both looked amazing. And I was like, yes to these two. Yes to everybody else, but specifically MJ Rodriguez and Andrew Garfield. Yes. Yes. We great love hair. to see it. Great hair. Yeah. Great hair. Good film, good hair, great people. <laughs> well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Do you want to know why we spent the whole day in bed watching movies yesterday? It's because the night before we recorded a collaboration with another podcast. We did. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. We did, we did. We recorded two episodes with our pals over at Goblet of Wine. Thank you so much, Hannah, for hosting us at your house and Charlie and Hannah as the duo for coming on the podcast and hosting us on your podcast. If you haven't heard of them before, they run a podcast called Goblet of Wine, which is a drunken Harry Potter podcast. So they drink and they talk about Harry Potter and do not worry, they are very strong in their sharing of their opinions about the shit that JK Rowling has done and it is a no from them and good uh, so if you're listening and thinking oh well I do like Harry Potter but I'm not sure about it because obviously JK is out with herself as being kind of atrocious uh, don't worry they call her out on it they discuss all the politics and stuff while quite drunk yeah it's great it's great so expect silliness expect drunkenness expect five and a half books in expect us yay <laughs> it, yeah it was it was so much fun I haven't spoken about Harry Potter in a long long time I haven't read the books in a long time so like diving into like almost the end of the fifth book was interesting but I really enjoyed it chapter 34 <laughs> the department of mysteries yeah but yeah it was loads of fun and yeah thank you to Hannah and Charlie for having us I laughed so much and also they came on our podcast as well which you won't have heard yet but they came on a book club episode and we are not prepared enough to tell you when that's coming out but you know we will at some point it'll be in your feeds at some point yeah keep your eyes and your ears peeled for that because it's so we have some great chats about their personal experiences getting into the his dark materials novels and a lot of the crossovers because as you know we make a lot of harry potter references and we get to like dig a little bit deeper with them into some of those crossovers that we've noticed that occur and similarities between the universes so it's it's all good chats and it was a lot of fun it really was and being on their podcast me i said this on their podcast but i'm gonna say it here made me realize how much of a fucking thirsty bitch i am because i recorded three podcasts that week or put out three podcasts and in every single one i said either mommy sorry or daddy sorry and i apologize 
<laughs> you have no... I mean, obviously, immediately go straight to Horny Jail. <laughs> like, Faye's recording pretty much consistently now from within Horny Jail. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Are you wearing a striped shirt or is that the shadow of the bars of your cell? <laughs> it's a bit of both, it's a bit of both. <laughs> Another thing that we have to tell you, a quick thing, is we've said this before, but we've actually started posting on there now. We've got a TikTok. It's yeah. at HDM Pod, and we filmed a bunch of stuff when we were together. And honestly, there's two particular videos that make me laugh so much. And every like hour or so, when I was with Rach over the weekend, I was like, Rach, show me those funny videos again. Show me the time when we were hilarious. <laughs> uh, yes, one of the reasons we have started making a little bit more effort with TikTok again because God, it's we're so old and it's so exhausting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but is because we are. Where is one day left? As you are listening to this, if you are listening on the day it's released, there is just one day left to get your hands on our very first ever merch run, our first ever t-shirts. We're running it as a pre-order system. Uh, We've got the Big C Energy t-shirt, which is beautiful, scripted, scrolly script and like a banner with little monkey pricks sitting on it. It says Big C Energy uh, because we're all about the big cult vibes. And... A uh, lovely little logo t-shirt that's a cute little Faye's favourite, a pocket print. I'm just so excited to receive all the finished orders and get them packed and sent off to you all with like cute little notes from us because packing things is so much fun. It really is. It really is. Today, as you're listening, is the last day to get your orders in. Get your orders in as well because it's a first trial run of t-shirts. We don't know when we're going to release them again. And also, if you do it now... You'll get them before Christmas. So today's the last day that you can do it. They're such fucking good quality as well. Like I, if you want, if you've been like umming and ahhing over it, just fucking go for it. Treat yourself, treat somebody else if it's a Christmas present. Hopefully we'll be able to do another run at some point, but we're not sure. It depends how this one goes. So don't dawdle. You got to do it. You got to do it because it might be your only chance. Yes, I definitely have aspirations to do different designs in different merch releases. So very specifically... If these designs appeal to you, get them now. Because <laughs> uh, who knows what I'm going to do next? So exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. Should we chat shit about a chapter of a book? I know, because I've got to do demons. How oh, dare I you this time. <laughs> forget? How dare you forget? How dare I? Hey, Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week? So this is probably a bit of an unusual one for me. And I think, Rich, you might be shocked that I'm choosing this because of my history with these particular animals. But I'm going to go for a cat, a little house cat, because I feel like I spent most of the weekend curled up in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) That is why I want a cat. Faye was my demon this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, I don't have much else to say other than that. Yeah, that was kind of the vibe, so... On a similar vein, I'm going to go for a dormouse because... I thought you were going to say doormat for some reason and I was like, Rich, you're not a doormat. (laughs) I'm not a doormat, but my demon is a dormouse. Because they're very small and that's very cute, but also the vibe is nesting in like a a cute little warm, cuddly uh, thing. And that is very much the vibe of yesterday, tucked up watching movies with Faye. And this morning I... Well, I've got to sleep alone in my own bed because my partner's been away. So uh, I got to be full starfish and then full dormouse and steal the entire duvet and make a cocoon around myself for my lion. And it was fucking great. Little duvet burrito. Love that. 
Also, how cute would that be? And they just like it's like scarf season, scarf weather. So you'd have a little dormouse demon, and they just tuck themselves up in your little scarf, and it would be so cute. That is very, very cute. Shall we get into this chapter with our favorite science mom? Yes. Okay. Let's go. last chapter, we spent a day sitting in on meetings with the Consistorial Court of Discipline, chaired by, speaking of failure, Father MacPhail. We all got a swift recap about Lyra and Will from Fra Pavel, and MacPhail and the boys decided to send an assassin after Lyra. Father MacPhail interviewed a Bolvanger scientist who he set the task of recreating the Azrael explosion. Back in the dreamscape, Lyra started to feel as if she might be waking up. In this chapter, we're with Mary as she begins her journey in Chittagatse and learns that she repels the spectres. She finds another window and heads through it into a brand new world where she meets and befriends a herd of strange creatures called Malefa. Well, here we are. We are finally (laughs) met. Oh, we will finally meet in this chapter, the Malefa. That is something that we have been not allowed to talk about for a long time. Yes. And something that we have been so desperate every time we've had an interview with people to be like, tell me what you're going to do about this. (laughs) So yeah, interesting that we are finally here and I'm glad to be back with Mary. Yes. I didn't realise, is this chapter title a bit of a pun? Is Phil proud of himself? Her name is Mary Malone and the chapter (gasps) title is Mary Alone. Oh my God. How the fuck did I not think of that? I did not think of that until literally as we were recording the intro and I had to read the chapter out loud and I said, chapter seven, the Amber Spy class, Mary Alone. And I was like, what? Do you know what I think threw me off? The comma. Yeah. The comma threw me off. Oh, oh, yeah. As if I can't, how, I'm so disappointed in us. (laughs) I'm not disappointed now because we got it eventually. That's true. Jesus Christ. This is like me watching Drag Race and not getting that Kitty Scott Claws is Kitty's Got Claws. Yeah. I did not get that for weeks. Or the Crystal Method. Oh, I got that one. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm not that bad. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) I, I don't know why. Sometimes like they just go over my head a little bit. I'm supposed to be the words person. You did get the L of a day is L of a day, yeah. Just checking that just right. checking that you understand puns as a basic concept. Yeah, all right. Fuck Sorry, I'm being so mean to you today. You are. Because I spent too much time being nice to you this weekend. <laughs> Fucking rude. Got to get the burns in. It's fine. Get the burns in. Would you like to tell me what your little icon is at the beginning of the chapter? Would you like to guess? Oh, that is the question. Is it a, a wheel, a seed pod wheel, a seed pot? <laughs> I love it when the Maleficent says seed pod. pod. Uh, no, it's not. Do you want another guess? One more. A tree? Oh, yeah. Is it a tree? It is. Well, it's a bunch of. Ah. Hang on, can you see? Oh, a little grove of trees. Cute. Do you want to tell us about the the quote? It is, of course, Phil's favourite. Paradise Lost. It's John Milton, Paradise Lost. The section that it is from, so it's for part of the seventh book because bloody hell, Paradise Lost is a long poem, isn't it? I guess that's why it's an epic. It is part of a section in which 
Adam asks an angel to describe to him how the world was created. Apparently he asks very tentatively because he doesn't know if he's allowed to know and then the angel's like, no, it's okay. I can actually, I can tell you. God actually wants people to know how he made the world. And it's like, what, why is he so, why is God such a weird gatekeeper of knowledge that Adam is like, am I allowed to know? Please tell me. God wants to fucking show off, doesn't he? Exactly. So then there's this entire massive, this whole book basically is the angel describing the classic Bible story of what happens on each of the seven days that it took to make the world. And this little snippet is from the section about the world before the day that he makes man, which I think is the third day. I shall read you a snippet. It's a very... So basically, most of this part of the poem is a massive long description of how the world was made. Reading a bit before and a bit after the quote didn't really make sense because the bit before is just even more descriptive things. So I'm just going to kind of read a bit of what comes after because it gives a bit more context. So I'll start with the quote from the book and just kind of carry on through the poem. But the entire poem, start from the beginning. <laughs> Here we go. I'll just... This is, this is dramatic reading of Paradise Lost. Enjoy. <laughs> In its entirety. Buckle up. Have you got three hours? <laughs> I think it'd take longer than that. <laughs> Probably. Last rose as in dance the stately trees and spread their branches hung with copious fruit or gemmed their blossoms with high woods in the hills were crowned. With tufts the valleys each fountain side with borders long the rivers. The earth now seemed like to heaven a seat where the gods might dwell or wonder with delight and love to haunt her sacred shades. Though God had not yet reigned upon the earth and man to till the ground. None was from the earth but for a dewy mist went up and watered all the ground and each plant of the field wherever it was in the earth God made and every herb before it grew on the green stem God saw that it was good so even and morn recorded the third day fuck me that was hard to read basically it's just it's really nice it's really really nice and then god makes man and we fuck it up yeah true <laughs> pretty much i mean let's not blame me for it let's blame fracking um <laughs> So very much like a description of paradise, but I can see exactly why Phil has chosen this snippet because of especially describing the the trees hung with the fruits and especially uh, Mary will make a reference a little later on to feeling as if she's the first person ever to walk the earth. And so the fact that this is this snippet is pulled from a description of Paradise Lost that is describing the world before man was invented is a cool thing to know. I mean, every time we do this, my thing is always like, yeah, it fits. Turns out Phil picked an appropriate <laughs> appropriate quote to match the chapter. Can you imagine if they were just like, absolutely like, just you just couldn't even relate it to the chapter and we had to sit here trying to be like clutching at straws like... Mm-hmm. You were reading it and it was like, oh well, there never was an ever a cat so clever as magical <laughs> Mr. Mistopheles. Why is Phil quoting cats? <laughs> 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 Fucking rum tum tugger, I can't. (laughs) Sorry. Right. Okay. Here we go. In this chapter. I love this first line. I really do. Almost at the same time, the tempter whom Father Gomez was setting out to follow was being tempted herself. Great opening line. Phil loves a segue almost as much as we do. That's like a a proper segue moment. Yeah, absolutely. This couple have like befriended Mary because she we learn repels spectres. Which is very interesting. Very, very interesting. Do we think this could be the same couple, the same Olive Grove where Lyra and Will pass through? Maybe. Is it a similar area? I'm trying to work out geographically where she would be because she's come from Chittagatsi, which is where Lyra and Will started out as well. 
How is this couple getting their food? They live on a farm, don't they? But the spectres can still come and get them while they're farming. The spectres aren't like, I can't get you while you're at work. Sorry, I'll come back later. Maybe olives also repel spectres. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think they are just living like they've got like a little homestead vibe. But like they must be like super, super, super isolated. I just don't get why the spectres haven't got them because they say that they see the spectres lurking in the trees and stuff. Maybe it's just they're really isolated and spectres go for populated areas. But the spectres have decimated most of the populated areas. So it was like, it was almost their time. And then Mary came and repelled them probably for about five minutes. And then the moment she left, they probably got spectres. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry about it, Mary. We know you feel guilty for leaving them. But they just got spectred. Obviously, the couple don't want Mary to leave. And they keep like plying her with like food and stuff. And I love what she says on the way out because it really made me laugh. I must go on, said Mary again. Thank you. You've been very kind. I can't carry it. Oh, all right. Another little cheese. Thank you. <laughs> Another little cheese. Mary is me. My (laughs) dream is for somebody to try and bribe me to stay somewhere by giving me bread and olive and cheese. Like, yes, that is the vibe. My guts would hate it, but all all of the cheese, I would be complaining. But yes, can somebody please like persuade me to stay somewhere by offering me as much cheese as I can eat? Although it does sound like it's mostly goat's cheese, which is not my favourite cheese. No, not a fan. So, Mary has passed through Chittagatse and she's seen lots of the damage that the spectres have done. And then she leaves the old couple and we kind of get reminded of where she was in the last book. We get a bit of fucking... uh, Oh my God, what's the word that I always forget? Exposition. Exposition, thank you. Thrown in. Which I actually could remember, which I was quite proud of. I was like, I remember all this happened in the last book. Maybe it's because I just really like Mary, so I remember what happens to Mary. Yeah, so we get a little reminder about the little chat that she had with the shadow particles through her machine and about her mission, basically, of what she's been told to do is to play the serpent and that her task is to go and find Lyra and Will, but how she's going to get there, she does not really know. Also, it says to play the serpent, whatever that meant. Uh, it just makes me think to the season, season whatever, whatever that means. That means. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. She needs to look for guidance. So she takes out the I Ching book. I really love the idea of this. And I love that she picked up the I Ching not only because it was something that Lyra mentioned and something that Dust mentioned was relevant, but because it was also a sentimental object for her. So again, it's that like Mary is very destined to use this and to have this connection with Dust that she's been forging since she was a teenager because... She used to use the I Ching at school as like a fun fortune telling game kind of thing, which again, not sure how that fits in culturally with like thinking of it as more of a game, but maybe she did have more of a connection to it as a practice. Uh, We do not know. I also love the idea of her finding the process like initially alien and then quickly remembering how to do it it really reminds me of like if right now I got out a piece of string and did like a cat's cradle I feel like you would know what to do next to like do a cat's cradle just automatically because I've not made a cat's cradle in years but I would know how to do one or like uh folding up a paper fortune teller I've not done it in years and years but I would know exactly how to do one if you handed me a piece of paper mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those like childhood muscle memory things in this paragraph where it's describing her you know where you were mentioning you know a curious teenager she picks it up how to do it again really quickly I liked the description of 
Phil saying that it takes calm and concentrated attention because it's very similar to what it takes to read the alethiometer and to use the subtle knife. Yes, yes. And also something that I do not have. (laughs) Definitely not. It might be a tiny bit easier for you because you work with your hands, but like I can't remember the last time I had calm and concentrated energy on something. Oh no, I have to do that all the time. (laughs) My brain will not allow that ever. I can do calm and concentrated on a visual activity. Like anything creatively in a 3D visual sense. If you tried to get me to calmly and concentratedly like analyse a passage of a book, for example, like trying to make my notes for this chapter, my brain was not on it. I was not calm. I was struggling to concentrate. I tried to be calm and concentrated on, on Animal Crossing earlier, but then all my villagers just ripped the shell me for not being on it in six months, so I just turned it off. I think it's really unethical for a game that's supposed to be a cosy, calming game to be mean to you. It's not like they're mean. It's very passive aggressive. Well, I suppose that is a bit mean. They're like, oh my God, Fear, where have you been? We've not seen you in... It's been six months. And you're just like, all right, fucking hell, been busy. And you're like, yeah, because I was scared of what you'd say. I've been away for two weeks. So imagine what you'd say when it's been six months. (laughs) oh god yeah I just turned it off I could not do it so Mary goes through the process with the I Ching and we get a reading kind of in two parts because it sounds like you keep digging until you feel that you've found the conclusion that you are looking for or the something that matches your situation yeah 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 she reads, turning to the summit for provision of nourishment brings good fortune, spying about with sharp eyes like a tiger with insatiable craving. And then a little bit further down, she finds, keeping still is the mountain, it is a bypath. It means little stones, doors and openings. And it's the mention of the word openings that sparks her attention. And I just really love that, like the idea of following the meanings down through until you find something, because that feels like, again, like Lyra describing the layers of the alethiometer and sinking down until it feels right. Yeah, 100%. And she realises that this must mean the little window that she came through and that there might be more windows. And then she like packs up all her shit and sets off. For a four hour hike. Four hours. And it's hot as well, right? This is how we know that Mary is definitely a great outdoors lesbian. This is it. (laughs) Yeah. Not only is it the fact that she definitely packed her Tupperware and her hiking boots and her sleeping bag and she's very well prepared, but the fact that she's just very casually tackling a four-hour hike. I could not do it. I like walking, but I could not walk for four hours. Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean, she is hot and tired at the end of this four-hour hike, but even so... I feel hot and tired after a 15-minute walk up a slight slope, so... (laughs) Same. So, she has a break and she happens to see a window. Yes. We get some sneaky little descriptions from Phil of, obviously, she's climbing a bit of a hill and lots of descriptions of large and small stones that she's scrambling over to get to where she's going, which is nice because of the uh, little stones and doors and things. And it's like... It's cute that she's scrambling over stones before she finds this this opening. So I was like, oh, I see what you did there, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I like the description of, of the window. Uh, it says, and there it was, like a sheet of glass hanging unsupported in the air, but glass with no attention catching reflections in it, just a square patch of difference. And then she remembered what the I Ching had said 
a bypass, little stones, doors and openings. It was a window like the one in Sunderland Avenue. She could only see it because of the light. With the sun any higher, it probably wouldn't show up at all. Yeah. I love that she gets a little bit more time to look at this window than perhaps Lyra or Will has had so far because we've only had their impressions of it as children. And Mary as a scientist looking at it, I feel like is a, a different vibe as well. And I'm glad she's had a chance to like properly check out a window without being in a hurry. Mm. Throughout this entire chapter, I just really love Mary's joy at discovering new things and finding out new things. It's just so lovely to see. Yeah, she's so open to being like, well, I thought I knew this, but I... Turns out it's different. Just very like, here's the evidence. I guess I'll change my mind. <laughs> it's like, yes, Mary. <laughs> Love that. It says that the knife bearer that made this window at about the time of the American Revolution had been too careless to close it, but at least he'd cut through a point very similar to the world on this side next to a rock face. I have a question. Because it said the American Revolution, does that mean that this knife bearer was from our world or is it just the time of the American Revolution? I don't know. Is it Phil just saying around that long ago for us from our perspective? Or is it if there are many, if there are multiple worlds, that means there's multiple Americas, which means the American Revolution could have happened at any time in any of those if it happened at all. So (laughs) some very vague date giving from Phil but I assume he means just as a reference point for us it's been around a while (laughs) also this knife bearer is a he again does this mean that all knife bearers are men because we had this conversation this little knife and I think I was convinced that it, it was said somewhere that they were all men I don't think it is ever said that they're all men but all the knife bearers we've heard of so far have been men do we think there have been any female knife bearers potentially not just because it sounds as if the society of scholars that made the knife and have been in charge of the knife and its lineage have probably manipulated the system to make sure that the knife bearer is always a man um but then i don't know i feel like the knife is a pretty neutral object and should choose pretty much 50 50 based on population but based on access is probably only going to ever be exposed to men to be able to choose its next bearer or whatever. True. Can Lyra not be the knife bearer and the person that can read the alethiometer? Could she not have both? Could she just be everything? Can women not have it all? <laughs> well, no, because I do love Will. <laughs> no, I do as well. I do. Obviously Will could just hand Will. it off to a lady next. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> she just steps straight through the window, which is good on you because she has no idea what's in that world, but she's like, yeah, all right, see ya go straight through to a place overlooking a vast plain it was evening here too and she sat down to breathe the air and rest her limbs and taste the wonder without rushing wild golden light and an endless prairie or savannah like nothing she'd ever seen in her own world to begin with although most of it was covered in short grass in an infinite variety of buff brown green ochre yellow golden shades and undiluting very gently in a way that the long evening light showed up clearly the prairie seemed to be laced through and through with what looked like rivers of rock with a light grey surface. Sounds really cool. It does. I also love these massive fucking trees. Uh, and secondly, here and there on the plain were strands of the tallest trees Mary had ever seen. Attending a high energy physics conference once in California, she had taken time out to look at the great redwood trees and marvelled. But whatever these trees were, they would have overtopped the redwoods by half again at least. Their foliage was dense and dark green, their vast trunks gold red in the heavy evening light. I would like to just say, I have seen the redwoods. Have you? 
Are they bloody massive? They are fucking huge. So it was when I went to America with my parents. I was 16 and I was the brattiest of all brats. And even though I was so happy to be there because like my parents knew how much I wanted to go to America, I just could not. Do you know when like your uh, teenage hormones are so intense that even though you want to show like your parents that you're grateful and that you're having a good time, all you can do is just rage at nothing. That is literally what I was the entire time on that holiday. My mum and dad have got like a photo of me like laid on the floor in like a fucking having a fucking tantrum on this piece of grass. I wasn't having a tantrum. I was 16, but I was like, I'm just going to lay here while you can do whatever you're doing. And I ran out of a restaurant one time and sat under the Golden Gate Bridge. It was very emo listening to my iPod. But yeah, we went to see the Redwoods and there is a, I'll try and find it. I'll ask my dad to send it me, but there's a picture of me hugging one of them. Ah. So I'll see if I can find it but I was the most miserable little bastard ever when I was there, just that entire holiday. And I really regret it now, but like, it was amazing. Cause I remember saying to my dad at the time, I don't want to see these massive trees. Like, I don't care. I don't care about this. And then when I got there, I had to like hide that I actually really enjoyed it. You know? <laughs> Cause I didn't want to like lose face. <laughs> Basically I was a fucking shitty little teenager with hormones raging but yeah they are fucking massive is there anywhere we can visit them nearby when we're visiting i was literally just going to say that they are maybe like half an hour out of san francisco oh let's do it let's get a picture for the podcast of us hugging a redwood absolutely we can look at the seed pods yeah yeah anyway that was my little teenage story oh beautiful be glad you didn't know me when i was a teenager rich i was a fucking nightmare Oh, me too. We'd probably either been really good friends or hated each other. Yeah. Or I'd have probably had a massive crush on you, so... (laughs) That was my vibe. Being jealous of people that I probably actually just had crushes on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate her. She's really annoying. Actually, no, I probably just really like her a lot. Okay, so she spots these herds of creatures quite far off and notices that there's something odd about how they're moving but can't really pinpoint it because she's too far away. And then... I would very much like to launch a formal request to Philip Pullman. I hope you're listening, Phil. I hope you've been listening all this time. This is a formal request for you to never, ever write the sentence just a seepage of clear water from a mossy fissure ever again. The words seepage and mossy fissure should never, ever, ever be written down in conjunction. Ever. The word seepage should never be written down, ever. Thank you. Full stop. <laughs> Once again, my habit of skimming over descriptions has done me dirty because I just did not even catch on to that at all. And I am so sad, but I'm very glad you brought it to my attention because I love it. And I say, Phil, write it again. Write the word seepage as much as you want. <laughs> I just... I hate it. So, you know how some people have a problem with the word moist? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seepage. Just, you're describing what's supposed to be a refreshing stream, Phil. Not like, I don't even know what, like a wound or something. Seepage sounds gross. It does. (laughs) And then mossy fish. You love moss though, Rich. Yeah, but mossy fisher sounds rude. (laughs) It sounds rude. (laughs) It sounds like a vagina. It literally does, because if anybody has ever read or seen the play Our Country's Good, which is about the first, I think one of the one of the first ever Australian prison colonies, another super fun part of our history where we 
let's brush over that. Uh, uh, well, let's not brush over it, but it's not for now. Uh, I meant no, I meant we brush over. Uh, it we brush the over country it. brushes over it. Like yes. not me, <laughs> not me. I'll tell you. <laughs> but our country's good. A play about the one of the first Australian prison colonies. One of the main characters is a sex worker, and her, one of her main monologues is great. It's packed full of like kind of old English slang and like old East End slang and like one of the things she refers to her vagina as is a mossy cove. Nice. So mossy fisher obviously immediately made me think of that. Love that. Love And that, that. is what you get when you study A-level drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. Okay. So after the mossy fisher uh, <laughs> she goes to sleep and she wakes up and she starts to have like a proper look around. And then she like walks on because she's aiming for the big trees. Yeah, this is where we get the cute little reference that I thought was relevant to the first bit where it's she's feeling as if she was the first human being who had ever lived. And I like that because of the reference, but I also like it because I wonder if that feeling is coming from the fact that she is the only human being potentially in that world right now, which is really cool to think about. Very cool, very terrifying, very lonely. Yeah, Mary alone. Mary alone, alone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she walks on, she's aiming for the trees. It's grassy, it's bushy. There's like a little hummingbird that she thinks is a bee and it like it's very cute. It lands on a finger and it tries to like get some nectar from a finger and then it's like, nope, nope, goodbye, flies away. Did you know that a bee hummingbird is actually a thing? Is it? Is it, is it a hummingbird that looks like a bee by any chance? It is a hummingbird that is only just bigger than a bee. Oh, cute. I'm going to send you this image um, because I want you to see how small it is because it describes the hummingbird as being only just bigger than the top of her thumb, like the first segment of her thumb. And that's not far off how big these little hummingbirds are. So here's a picture of this little hummingbird, a bee hummingbird, perched on somebody's finger. Um, I think they are native to Cuba. Oh, it's so, so cute. Friggin' small. <laughs> So, like, yeah, I think the entire bird from, like, where its beak meets its face to, like, its bum is probably about the same length as your thumb. Um, and then you add on a bit for beak at the front, maybe. So it's probably a, a little bit bigger than, one, than the one Phil describes. But I love that he compares this bird to a bee and then there is actually such thing as a bee hummingbird in real life. I love her, like, exclamation of how every biologist on Earth would envy her if they could see what she was seeing. She always got a science brain on. Oh, science mom. I love it. Like we said earlier, just like her wonderment at everything is very cute. I just particularly enjoy that Phil, some of Phil's descriptions of being like, it is our world, but it's not. So she's describing like a, a flowery meadow and it's there are flowers like poppies, like buttercups, like cornflowers. Because nothing is probably actually any of those things because it's an entirely different world. But just for the picture, they're a bit like this. I just, I just like it because it's like our world adjacent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very sweet. So she moves on and there's a herd of those creatures that she had seen earlier whose movement had puzzled her without her knowing why. They were about the size of deer or antelopes and similarly coloured, but what made her stop still and rub her eyes was the arrangement of their legs. They grew in a diamond formation, two in the centre, one at the front and one under the tail, so that the animals move with a curious rocking motion. Mary longed to examine a skeleton and see how the structure worked. I appreciate 
Phil's efforts to describe these things to us. I don't think that it'll ever be truly clear to us while reading these books what these fucking things look like because it's so hard to imagine. I love that Mary's conclusion is that they must have come from... If, the, if this many worlds theory is correct, they must have come from way, way back, a split before evolution started giving things the uh, spinal structure that we have for most like bipeds and quadrupeds now. I love that her automatic thing is, oh, I wonder what the skeleton looks like. It's just science, science brain. So she wants to get closer to them, but it's too hot. So she finds the shade of the trees and she steps onto like the river of stone that she, that we mentioned earlier. And she thinks that it once might have been lava flow, which is interesting. Yeah. It may, explains like the, because she's come from a plateau, right? That she was on. That might be the top of whatever the volcano was. Yes. And the trees are as wide as a house. And I don't like that. It's too wide. It's too big. I don't like massive things. I forgot you don't like big things. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it's usually if a big thing has got a face, and I know these trees don't have faces, but yeah, I don't like that it's very, 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 very big. I guess it means, because you, you think of a tree, you don't necessarily think of somebody, like, it taking long to walk around the base of a tree. Walking around the outside of a house takes a little while, doesn't it? it yeah, so, like, the redwoods, like, that picture of me hugging it, I'm not, my arms aren't even curving around it. Like, like they're fucking massive. Like, they're almost about as wide as a house, I would say. They are fucking huge. How many people do you think it would take to go around the tree to hug it? It has also been 14 years since I've seen one. I don't know. Maybe like 10? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for the largest redwood and what the circumference is. The largest giant sequoias, which is what a redwood is. The first largest one is called General Sherman. They've got names. General Sherman is 31.3 metres in circumference. 31.3 metres. Oh, wait, that doesn't make sense. Oh, rank. is that, mean, that might mean it's the tallest because the second one is 32.8 metres circumference. So that is bigger. But for some reason, it's second in the ranks. I don't know why. Large trees. Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we? So... Where were we? The big tree. Yeah, that's bloody massive. Also, I just would not want to be near these big trees that Mary is near because there's loads of bugs and like birds and shit milling about and just like, no thanks, I just wouldn't want to be like covered in fucking bugs. Yeah. I'll pass. I like the description that it's the same stillness as a cathedral. It's very nice. Yeah, very grand. It reminds me of, they do a light festival. That is quite a common thing now across like a few different cities in the UK. A light festival. But it makes me, I think we went to one in maybe Durham um, and they will like use projectors to project images on the inside of the cathedral walls and then do like a light show on the outside of it and one of the images that they had on the cathedral walls and this one I was visiting was they made the large stone pillars look like tree trunks and the top of the cathedral look like a canopy which is like a perfect amalgamation of those two things it was very very cool very grand nice Mary wonders why the creatures don't move into the shade and then she finds out pretty pretty soon after. When she literally nearly gets killed by one of these seed pods because they are a yard wide. That is massive. That is massive. Did I tell you about the time I nearly got killed by a piece of perspex that fell off a really high shelf? No. My life like flashed in front of my eyes. Uh, somebody was taking something off a really high shelf above where I was working on this desk. It was not safe working conditions at all, but I was fine. They didn't know that there was this sheet of... 
maybe one and a half centimetre thick perspex resting on top of the box they were trying to get to, into and the sheet slid off the box. He was, it was at the top of a ladder and reaching up. So it was quite a few, it was maybe like six metres up, if not more. It was quite high up. And this sheet of perspex slid off and it hit, it like probably missed my shoulder by about 10 centimetres or less oh. and hit the desk next to me. And the chunk of wood that it took out of the tabletop next to me was so deep. Fuck. And my friends were like, if you, if that had hit you in the head, you'd be dead. If that had hit you in the shoulder, you would have a shattered collarbone. And that is how I, I felt like I'd like really dodged a bullet that day. And I genuinely think that must be how Mary feels because this thing has fallen, what sounds like vertically. I mean, it's round, so maybe not as sharp and angry as a fucking block of person. I mean, it's but... still fucking killer if it landed on her. Yeah. God, did you have to like, did you report this? Did you have to, did they have to fill in like an accident at work thing and all that shit? No, because it didn't hit me. It was a near <laughs> miss, so no paperwork required. Oh, but if you were dead, they would have to fill loads of paperwork out. Also, the person that was getting the thing down was my manager slash my boss. So the person that I would report it to is him. And obviously he didn't want to get in trouble. So great, great. Sounds great. Yeah. All my friends were like, you nearly died today. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> Thank fuck I didn't. So yeah, like a couple of these like massive things fall down. She doesn't know what they are. She's like, what are they? Are they seed pods? And then we get a little callback because we get a mention of a buttress again. We love a buttress. We love a buttress. <laughs> love that. Journey. I missed the buttress. I'm glad you Did got you? it. <laughs> so it says, and then another fell further off. She saw the massive thing descend and watched it crash into the buttress-like root of the nearest trunk and roll away. And then we get another one later where she hides behind a buttress i mean it's not a buttress it's a tree trunk but phil says it's a buttress nice <laughs> she runs out from under the trees she goes to look at the nearest one and similarly to your description of the mossy fishes and the seepage i took a similar reaction to this description of the seed pod it was perfectly circular and as thick as the width of her palm there was a depression in the center sim where he had been attached <laughs> to the tree <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. It wasn't heavy, but it was immensely hard and covered in fibrous hairs that lay along the circumference so that she could run her hand around it easily one way but not the other. She tried a knife on the surface. It made no impression at all. Her fingers seemed smoother. She smelt them. There was a faint fragrance there <laughs> under the smell of dust. She looked at the seed pod again. In the centre, there was a slight glistening, and as she touched it, again, she felt it slide easily under her fingers. It was exuding a kind of oil. <laughs> Will you stop it with all the seepage and exuding today, Phil? <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Just some, just some more light vagina allegories here. I mean, it's an interesting object, for sure. I'm very excited to see. I would love to talk to the prop makers on the TV show when they have to make these giant hairy, oily seeds. I just would not want to touch one. I feel like I'd be very grossed out by it. Yeah. Although that makes it sound like I'm grossed out by vaginas, which I am not. <laughs> <laughs> just to put that on the table. Just seeds. <laughs> just seeds, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't love that the faint fragrance of what we don't know she just feels that she has to sniff her fingers which is okay mary <laughs> i'm sure she's a scientist she's going to use all of her senses to 
explore this world. Here's where she has a little more of a think about evolution that we were talking about earlier, about how all of this world is created, or created, how this world has evolved, um, and how she just feels... She was beginning to see how narrow her scientific horizons were. No botany, no geology, no biology, or of any sort. She was as ignorant as a baby. My thought for that is... Mary, if you're as ignorant as a baby, what does that make me? Because I ain't got any fucking scientific <laughs> knowledge whatsoever. But I guess the point is she's saying it's it's irrelevant. It's a whole different world, right? She probably does know as much as you when it comes to this world. But also, she's not really giving herself much credit there because she knows how to approach and scientifically analyse a situation, which I do not. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she hears a rumble and sees a cloud of dust coming towards her and she's scared and she goes back under the tree and hides in a buttress. <laughs> As she's hiding, uh, she is looking at the approaching dust cloud. What she saw made her head spin. It looked like a motorcycle <laughs> gang. That really made me laugh. Then she thought it was a herd of wheeled animals, but that was impossible. No animal could have wheels. She uh, she wasn't seeing it, but she was. Uh, yeah, Malefa motorcycle gang... Here for it. Love it. What would we call them? Ooh. Um, you know, like Hell's Angels or I can't think of any other of the major ones. I love that concept. What, what what can we call this motorcycle gang? Or like, would they have their own band? It, it's making me think of like Bob's Burgers. What I was literally just going to say that. Yeah, it's making me think of Bob's Burgers. I and can't remember what Does she called. call the baby Mudflap? Or she's called Mudflap? She's called Mudflap. Isn't the baby called, it's maybe called like Sidecar or something. Oh, Ridiculous. It is, yes. Yeah. It's a great episode of Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Malefa Motorbike Gang. I feel like I can see it now as well. If I ever work out how I think a Malefa looks in my head, I will be drawing one with its wheels, but with, like, a biker helmet on with, like, spikes on it and, like, trying to put, like, a little uh, cut-off sleeves denim jacket with patches on it on, and it would have, like, all... Just just saying, if you all want T-shirts... <laughs> <laughs> Now that we do merch, uh, like, clothing and we understand how the system works and what we do, like, just tell me. Tell me and I will make you Malefa Motorbike Gang shirts. And if you have an idea of a name for this gang, tweet it at us immediately yes. because we will choose the name. Yeah, let's put it out to the listeners because I can't think of one. Please, please give us your ideas for the Malefa Motorcycle Gang, please. But yes, uh, Malefa Motorbike Gang, here for it. We'll design merch for the gang. We could do patches. Oh my God, it would be so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> she's on it, she's on it. Her head is like spinning. Well, no pun intended, because these animals appear to have wheels. What the fuck? How can animals have wheels? That's not a thing, is it? I love that she's literally just admitted. She's like, I know so very little. I know as much as a baby. Things can't have wheels. That's not how that works. <laughs> like, okay, Mary. But like, it's very, it's still a very cool idea. Cause she's like, that's just not possible in biology. And then she realizes later that it's because it's because they're special. Yeah. So she realizes that they're seed pods that they're using for wheels. And I had completely forgot that. I just thought that they had wheels. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All 
all right, patronising. Sorry, that wasn't oh, supposed to be patronising. I was just like, I can't. I, I fucking love when you don't remember stuff from the books. Not because it makes me feel superior, which it does. Uh, <laughs> no, but because it's just like really interesting because like so much of it is very ingrained with me and there is stuff that I've completely forgotten. But the Malefa and the seeds in particular like the functions of the seeds is something that really sticks with me completely forgot about the seed pods 100% just thought Malefa had wheels I think it's because I'm very like object orientated like I'm very obsessed with the alethiometer as an object and the knife as an object and I guess the seeds are a cool object to think of true so they're using the seed pods for wheels which is very clever they're very clever creatures. They're intelligent and curious, apparently. And they're looking for Mary, it seems. Shall I read out the description of the Malefa, being as it's the first full one we get? They are roughly the same size as the grazing creatures, but leaner and grey-coloured, with horned heads and short trunks like elephants. They had the same diamond-shaped structure as the grazers, but somehow they had evolved on their fore and rear single legs a wheel. But wheels did not exist in nature, her mind insisted. They couldn't. You needed an axle with a bearing that was completely separate from the rotating part. It couldn't happen. It was impossible. I like to think that's Mary's, like, mechanical brain kicking in. I'm sure she knows how to fix a car. If anybody does, Mary does. Yes, and that's why she realises that they're using their claws to hook into the centre of the seed pods. I love it. Uh, the creatures hooked a claw through the centre of the pods with their front and rear legs and used their two lateral legs to push against the ground and move along. While she marvelled at this, she was also a little anxious for their horns looked formidably sharp and even at this distance she could see intelligence and curiosity in their gaze. So one of them gets the seed pod that she was looking at and like brings it back and they're all like talking in like chirrups and clicks and hoots and it sounds very disapproving and then I like this bit because like Mary is basically like you're here for a reason don't just hide away like fucking be bold and you know step out and say sauce <laughs> basically she's like I I touched that one <laughs> oops it was me sorry <laughs> uh they look at her and it's Phil points out their glittering eyes facing forward uh, which is, I think, forward-facing eyes is a really great way of kind of, again, hinting at, like, evolutionary stuff. Forward-facing eyes is a very human thing. It's also a very predator thing. It tends to be that prey animals have eyes on the sides of their head and predators have eyes on the fronts of their head or they, you know, evolve eye positions evolve in different ways for different reasons. I just think it's an interesting part to just pop in there. Hmm, it's very interesting. So she walks towards them, picks up her rucksack, walks towards them, she could see much more about their appearance, but her attention was held by something lively and aware in their gaze, by an intelligence. These creatures were as different from the grazing animals nearby as a human was from a cow. It's very cool that she can see that immediately, but I feel like you just would from their organised nature. We also find out later that some of them have essentially different items of like tools and clothing on them yeah it blows my mind that they like they've clear that like they've made saddles and all this kind of stuff that's incredible yeah it's really cool it's a really great little thing and seeing how they work together to like maneuver stuff into each other's and like help each other out because obviously they don't have two hands to use they use their trunks which is it's very cool it's a very cooperative society. Yeah, I really like this bit where she says her name and they try and repeat the things that she's saying because I know that they're intelligent and they're clever in their own ways, but from my perspective, it's just really cute when they're trying to it repeat is. what she's saying. <laughs> she points at herself and says, Mary, and then the nearest creature 
pokes her in the boob and says, Mary. <laughs> Just a good old boob poke. But I love the vibe that is learning to speak by copying because it's exactly what you do as a baby when you're learning language. And as somebody being more intelligent, being like, just imme- going from immediately copying to like you can copy and mimic until s- something clicks and you're like, oh, right, that's what you mean. I'm Mary. And then you know to point at yourself and say Malefa. Like, and that m- click of understanding is, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, I'm Mary. What are you? I'm human with them like respond with this. I am a human. I am a human uh, responding <laughs> with the repetition. They laugh. Which is so, like, when I read that they laugh, it, it, like, fascinated me and, like, creeped me out at the same time. In our world, animals don't laugh. Some animals mimic, obviously, but animals don't laugh from within themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, they don't have a a sense of (laughs) humour. Yeah, they're all fucking humourless, how dare they? (laughs) Yeah, so that's really, really interesting. And Mary laughs as well. Have a little laugh together. Yeah. So when the Malefa point themselves, they say Malefa, they all laugh at her trying to say Malefa. Uh, I just really want to point out the bit where she says, oh, you're smelling the oil from the seed pod because she offers her hand to it and it says sea pot. Sorry, very cute. Yes, very cute. Yes, she's talking about how if you can, you know, if we can make the same sounds vocally, we can communicate. And then says Malefa, and they all laugh again as if it was a fine joke. And then this logic confuses the heck out of me. She goes, "Oh well, if you can laugh, I don't suppose you'll eat me." Mary said. (laughs) Um, what logic is that? Have you never heard of cannibals? Do you think just cannibals can't laugh? Also, we laugh all the time and we eat living creatures. Like, some of us eat living creatures. Having a sense of humour is not a sign that you will not eat meat. I think it's more of, obviously, it's more of a, like, we have a connection that we would describe as human. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I I, I get it. It's it's just the turn of phrase just makes me laugh. Like, oh, you can laugh, so you probably won't eat me. It's like, have you ever met a hyena? (laughs) (laughs) Because they would definitely eat you and they laugh all the time. (laughs) Oh, the Malefa, they've all got, like, jobs to do and stuff. They're on They're it. busy people. They're busy. They're busy. Like we said, one of them's got a saddle. There's two of them that are lifting the seed pod onto it, securing it with straps, all this, like, really incredibly intelligent stuff. Um, and then one of them wheels to the edge of the road and makes a little trumpet noise. And the other, like, grazing creatures come over. And this, this bit, this bit, I... I don't know what to say about it other than it just makes me hella uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm just going to read it and then we can talk about it. Absolutely. Then Mary saw one reach beneath a grazer and milk it with her trunk. And then the wheeled one rolled over to her and raised her trunk delicately to Mary's mouth. At first she flinched, but there was an expectation in the creature's eye. So she came forward and opened her lips. The creature expressed a little of the sweet thin milk into her mouth, watched her swallow and gave her some more again and again. The gesture was so clever and kindly that Mary impulsively put her arms around the creature's head and kissed her, smelling the hot dusty hide and feeling the hard burns underneath and the muscular power of the trunk. What the fuck is this? Like, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. It's so sexual. It's so sexual. So a massive part of me wants to be really like on it with this and be like, actually... Is my discomfort something I need to analyse because it is essentially just the pr- production and transference of milk 
uh, which is a very normal thing. Like, I would never, ever shame somebody who is breastfeeding, for example. But this entire exchange does make me feel uncomfortable. It's not the act. It's the language that's used. Yeah. It's the language that's used. Yeah, it's odd. It's, I mean, generally bodily functions are things that make people feel uncomfortable, I think. But yeah, like part of me is like, is it, is it me? Am I the, am I the problem here? Is it my problem that it makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable? Is it my problem that Phil's written it in this way? Is it Phil's problem that he's written it? Yeah, way? that's what I mean. Like, do I have a problem with how he's written it or do I, uh, yeah, sorry. Sweet, thin milk into her mouth, watched her swallow gave her some more again and again. I'm like torn between it making me uncomfortable and me finding it hilarious. Yeah. Because like, I agree with you, there's absolutely nothing wrong with people using milk and being fed in this way. Like you said, breastfeeding, animals do it, whatever. It's just the way that it's written. And like the intimacy, obviously breastfeeding is very intimate anyway, but like the intimacy of this between Mary, a woman, and a creature that is not human. And it's written in that way that makes it sound very sexual. It's the fact that all we get from Mary's perspective as well is she flinched and then she was chill and then she was grateful and gave them a hug. I mean, she's more than chill. Even the description of her, like, kissing the Malefa is very intimate and sexual. Yeah, like, I feel like there should be more... Like, I fucking love about Mary as a character that she is just curiosity personified she is just so curious about everything and I love that about her but I feel as if there is like there is nothing written so okay I've just read the first series of uh, a series of books by Octavia E. Butler called I think it's the exogenesis series the first one is called Dawn and in that there are humans interacting with aliens that are so alien to them they're essentially like covered head to toe in these things called sensory tentacles that are like they look almost like hair they're some of them are so fine so i think i kind of imagine them looking like giant mops um but the humans when they're seeing them for the first time are terrified i don't necessarily think mary should be terrified but there is a certain level of trust that is built up between the character and this alien form that has to happen before they even touch each other and then the books get do get a bit weird and sexual but um, the vibe of mary just being immediately chilled with this creature that is very alien to her and with the bodily processes of this she's never been to this world as a scientist i would be wary of eating or drinking anything because i don't know what's going to kill me they don't know what's going to kill me. What if this milk is like the ultimate lactose intolerance milk? <laughs> what if she's about to have like the worst shits of her entire life? And she's just really like, okay with drinking this milk. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I get why Phil has done it because it's showing us the immediate emotional connection that she has with these creatures, the intuitiveness of, of her and them being like, this is safe. And I get that because that's a powerful thing. And I think Phil really wanted to put that across to the reader that like, this is a safe environment and they both, the creatures and Mary both know that. For some reason, they know that. And I think that's great. I just think, I don't even know if I, I have issue with it. Like, I wouldn't want to go out there and be like, oh, it's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, I'm torn between it making me feel uncomfortable and it being absolutely hilarious. Like, and I'm still like working through my feelings on it. But like, it's very, very, very strange. Very strangely written. Could have been written in a way that is not like this and that makes it sound just like a normal process, like you're breastfeeding, like that kind of stuff. 
I am intrigued as we go forward to see if we find out what the Malefa do for eating and drinking utensils. Because if this Malefa had the option of a cup and chose to trunk feed Mary, do you know what I mean? If if down the line we find out there are cups and that this weird <laughs> first interaction was optional... Yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's the thing. That's the thing is the intimacy of the trunk feeding specifically. Like, fine, go off and milk one of your mystery cow creatures and offer some to Mary as like a, a, a gesture of uh, like sharing and peace and uh, communication and an understanding. But it's, it's specifically the, the trunk feeding. I can't land on anything specifically with it other than the things that I've that I've said you know what I mean like I don't come down on one side of it and I'm definitely not being like oh it's horrific I'm just like what the fuck what the fuck that's out that is the side that I'm coming down on what the fuck if and when we find out that there was an option to have a cup that's when I'll be deciding <laughs> what <Yeah>. I think <laughs> yeah okay so the Malefa they're preparing to leave and Mary's sad that they're leaving but then one of them comes over and like kneels so she can climb on. And she's they take a rucksack, they put it on one of their saddles, and she's just like, hell yeah, I'll come with you. Why not? Mary and the motorbike gang drive off into the sunset. Off they go. <laughs> off they go. And the bit where it says that she didn't know where to put like her legs reminded me of the chapter we just did with Goblet of Wine with the Thestrals where Harry and the gang don't know, well, don't know where to put their legs or their arms or anything. But yeah, off they go. And, and, and then that's almost the end of the chapter. And then we go back to Lyra in her dreamscape with Roger and all we get is one word. Oh, I have three words. I have one. I have three. Publishing discrepancy alert. <laughs> I have because he's Will. Oh my God, so do I. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Not a publishing discrepancy alert. Cancel. Cancel the alert. <laughs> cancel the angry mob it's not it says because he's will which is which is nice i just thought it said will but it doesn't and then that's it for lyra that's such a sh i miss her i miss her a lot i miss her a lot the next do you want to know the name of the next chapter yes vodka oh my god it's like it was written just for me yeah i well question poll listeners tell us along with your motorbike gang suggestion names would you like a one-off drink episode of this podcast where we will drink vodka while we discuss the chapter vodka yes i will we'll put up a poll yeah i'll put up a twitter poll yeah 100 i will definitely do that do you have an award to give out difficult one right yeah, I'm just straight up just going to give it to Mary. Same. It was very difficult to give it to anybody else this chapter, I think. Yeah. Also, I do think she's earned it. She's, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. She's being a really great explorer. She's going into everything with an open mind, sometimes too open, perhaps we ask. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel, I feel like she's definitely earned it. Like, she's not on her own anymore. She's no longer alone. She's got the Malefa, but she's done probably one of the smoothest introductions to an essentially alien species we've I've ever seen in pop culture. Very minimal con conflict occurring. Just let's share some food and drive off together into the sunset. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I would just like to remind everyone before we say bye bye that T-shirt. That was very Moira Rose of me, wasn't it? Bye bye. <laughs> Uh, t-shirts we still have t-shirts this is a, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out 
this is the last day you can buy a t-shirt. So go to HDM pod forward slash shop and get yourself a t-shirt. If you wish to adorn your personage <laughs> with any of our delectable merchandise, you can go to our electronic sh- shopping experience. <laughs> was that a wow. good, was that a good impression? Great. It's fucking great. Was it Moira enough for you? It was, it was. <laughs> yes. hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support us in another way other than just the merch and the Patreon, we would absolutely bloody love it if you left us a review. We are running a little incentive program to get all them reviews in. And so if you leave us a review and screenshot that review and send an email with the screenshot to her.materialspod at gmail.com, we'll use that email as your entry into a prize draw and we'll pull out 10 names from a hat when we hit 50 entries. And those 10 people will get some super cute HDM pub bookmarks and then one of the people will get an up-to-date merch pack of the stickers that we do. Woo! Yes. yes. Please say nice things. Give us five stars. Uh, if you don't want to leave us a review or you can't, please give us a shout out on social media. Say hello. We love your emails. We love your tweets. We love your Instagram DMs and story shouts, shout outs and stuff. And also tell your HDM loving friends about us get everybody get everybody in the community we love it we love it we love it thanks so much for listening to this episode of her dark materials you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at hdm pod and you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com you can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk if you want to support us you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdm pod we also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from rich you can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Mary alone, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about seepage and mossy fishes, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Super, super, super.